Welcome to the webcast, Robotic Utilization in CLI in 2018. Protect your staff, protect yourself. This webcast is taken from live proceedings at the 2018 Amputation Prevention Symposium and is supported by an educational grant from Corindus Vascular Robotics. The moderator for this program is Jihad Mustafa from Advanced Cardiac and Vascular Amputation Prevention Centers in Grand Rapids, Michigan. The panelists for this program are Paul Michael from Cardiology Partners and JFK Medical Center in Palm Springs, Florida, Eric Scott from the Iowa Clinic and Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines, Iowa, Rhett Weichman from Vascular and Interventional Physicians in Gainesville, Florida, and Timothy Yates from Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Here are their disclosures. Upon completion of this activity, participants should be able to explain the occupational risks associated with radiation exposure, discuss best practices and treatment options to improve patient outcomes while reducing radiation exposure for clinicians, and recognize the benefits of robotic-assisted peripheral interventions for complex CLI cases. And uh, now let's move into the future. Uh, who would have thought that uh, robotic utilization in 2018, we'll move on to be used into the CLI therapy. And the title here is to protect your staff and protect yourself. So have some really nice uh, transition from the current status quo into the future. The um, Corbeth GRX system is um, the only FDA-cleared robotic system for coronary and recently peripheral intervention. And um, what you're seeing here is real, and this is um, the experience from the coronaries, and you can put it this way, you can put it sideways, there's multiple ways where you can uh, do it. So the, up to optimize your comfort level um, on how you want to do this, and over time you find that um, you actually, not every, not, not every vascular specialist like the same position that you see here, but you have this precision that is going to be uniform, uh, of uh, guide uh, catheter, wire, and um, rapid exchange catheters. Now, in terms of the guide catheter uh, for peripheral, uh, we are perfecting that. But in terms of the wire, this is one thing I'm going to show you today that you're going to be extremely impressed with. And um, it's very hard sometimes to impress us, all of you guys, because you've had great experience with wires because you have to, based on the... Um, the complexity of the disease that you deal with, so you've had developed this phenomenal uh, wire control, but uh, I thought I would not find something that would control the wire more than I do, but uh, this is phenomenal. So that was, I'll share that with you. The radiation reduction is amazing, and the resolution monitor is also amazing. The robotic precision uh, submillimeter measurements to determine lesion length and uh, appropriate uh, stenting uh, discrete one millimeter position of devices. And, uh, you know, uh, if you wonder, like, where would that be important for you, you'll see in a second. It's actually very important. Um, device fixed in, in system uh, during procedures, uh, fixed in a wire in the same place uh, as you advance things in and out. And the uh, procedure automation of wiring uh, with rotate and retract is uh, ROR. Uh, that system is amazing, and uh, hopefully I get to share it with you. 
Smart procedure automation. So the first automated movements in uh, technique uh, series for GRX. So there's some publications on that from the coronary side where they found there's a significant reduction um, in uh, wiring time with uh, reduced uh, variability. And the reason actually you see that because there's this um, controlled motion on the tip of the wire that I thought, you know, we can do it ourselves, but uh, to do it like the robot, the robotic arm does, um, at this point I would say I can't, but maybe in the future I will because we all like a challenge. So uh, I'm already challenging the robots, and we'll see who wins. I'll let you know next year. So um, Rotate on Retract, and this is a, a nice uh, software. Uh, again, um, it's a new thing for us for CLI work, but it's a nice, uh, nice addition. The, how many times do you move the wire uh, forward and backward while you're rotating to advance the wire uh, through bifurcation or uh, classified lesions? The reason I went backward here, because I'm going to focus more on this portion in the CLI wor world or the peripheral world. You find actually with a robotic arm, this is much easier than you think. Uh, I'm sure you probably thought it would be harder, than, harder in the peripheral, but actually I find it to be easier. And I will share that. I will show you in a second. This is here for, um, you know, occupational hazards, and uh, you can you can deny it all you want, but back pain and you know fatigue is is real. But the more serious issues is radiation exposure and the damage that it can cause. Unfortunately, there's some um, uh, real deal. I mean, we lost a real dear colleague recently for brain tumor. So, 85% uh, of brain tumors in interventionalists um, are from the left side, and um, we know that for a fact now. Cataract is a big issue, and the carotid atherosclerosis as well uh, is another issue. And I don't know what else we're going to find as the time goes by. Uh, orthopedic uh, strain and fatigue, this is a major, um, actually almost a career stopper for some people, and it's a major problem uh, for a majority physician, and the average age is actually 54. So um, hopefully none of you is going through it, but it is a problem because 60% um, incidence of spine issues after 21 years in practice. So it's kind of like um, you're in that range. 42% uh, incidence of uh, spine problems and general population average is 2.3. So you can see that it's a major uh, issue. And that, uh, you know, the days of uh, work missed is 33%. And uh, imagine the cost uh, and loss of income with that. So radiation reduction, 95.2% uh, radiation, uh, redu radiation reduction to the physician when using the core path technology. And, you know, as you know, uh, the oblique views, uh, especially the RAO oblique, uh, pretty much uh, give, is giving you the radiation, uh, especially the scattered radiation, uh, straight into your, your um, lower extremities and then up to your body. And, um, you know, when we use a shield, actually, most of us put it uh, next to the uh, uh, eye on top, where actually the shield should be in the bottom, really, to protect you. So, anyway, uh, the radiation shield works, uh, workstation reduce, eliminates scattered radiation. If you know the 1 over 4 inverse uh, um, distance, so uh, if you add that 
to the shield, it pretty much not gain any radiation. The rapid trial is a robotic assisted peripheral intervention for peripheral disease. Um, it was done in Austria with uh, Dr. Bradman, and I uh, wish she was still here. She would have helped us with the discussion, and the study chair was Dr. Uh, Mahmoud. The uh, trial design was uh, a prospective single arm, uh, single center, uh, non-randomized uh, study for the core path to Honda system. Uh, the idea was to examine the performance uh, during interventions of uh, the SFA and the uh, patient uh, outcomes uh, through 24-hour post-procedure. So just look at the acute outcome, but also just uh, the, the time it takes and the acute events during uh, SFA therapy. The primary outcome measures were successful cannulation of the target vessels using the uh, 200 system, CORPAT system, and there was no evidence, sorry, no device-related serious adverse event during the procedure. The inclusion criteria were patient population, um, symptomatic disease, presence of uh, CLI, and, um, and or life-limiting uh, claudication, and, and a disease involving the SFA. The angiographic inclusion criteria, the um, SFA disease was more than 50% uh, disease, um, and also uh, occlusion of up to 50 millimeter. The 20 patients uh, that were enrolled to Rutherford 2 to 5, the uh, Rutherford uh, class uh, 2, R2, 30%, and then uh, 3 is 60%, CLR 4 is 5%, and uh, CLR 5 is 5%. So it was more focused toward the um, larger vessels at that point. Uh, 29 lesions uh, by which all treated by CORPAS system, a 26 over 29 uh, lesions in SFA, four uh, popliteal, and one uh, had both SFA and popliteal. The balloon angioplasty uh, was done robotically 65% of the time, and also uh, balloon angioplasty performed robotically with provisional stenting was 34%. All stents were placed manually, and as you know, the system accommodates rapid exchange. So as we, you know, as we have more rapid exchange uh, tools, we'll be able to use it more. But also as a device, the robotic itself evolves, we'll probably be able to use it more. So both, uh, the, actually both ends are working toward um, accommodating uh, the, the technology. The uh, rapid results, uh, primary endpoints uh, were 100% in terms of uh, success. The device success, which is uh, basically by cannulating the target uh, lesion and the safety, which is uh, absence of uh, adverse events. The second endpoint was the clinical procedure success, uh, less than 50% of residual stenosis um, of all core path uh, lesion, treated lesion and a conversion to manual provisional stenting, uh, confirmed by independent core labs. Uh, the variables here with core lab tec uh, technical success were 100%. Uh, it's actually nice to hear that because, um, you know, every time we have, we have a new technology and, uh, and you put it in our hands, especially for peripheral, it takes you out of your element. So it's very nice. Uh, and congratulate Dr. Bradman for, for being able to do this, um, uh, this uh, study. Uh, so patients with device-related SAEs were 0%. The current comparabilities uh, with a core path GRX um, guide catheters advanced and retract, uh, retracted. Um, 
we can rotate them and 5 to 7 French system compatibles. Guide wires 014 system and actually we can squeeze the 018. Um, we like to always challenge things, so they didn't like it, but uh, they're, they're okay now. The RX device um, uh, advanced, uh, uh, able to advance and rotate devices, but uh, not rotate them. The proximal shafts uh, uh, compatibility is less than 2.3 French. So uh, the future of vascular robotic, uh, advanced device manipulation, and this is where you and I really come into play here. As you see this device tonight, today, uh, please start to think, what would you like to see? And, and share that with me at one point, because we would like to see and expand uh, compatibility of the current device and the future iterations that they might make. And the robotic system procedure, uh, you know, it went, it worked really well for the coronaries because it has short, short segments, uh, predicted uh, segments, but for the SFA and popliteal and tibials and the peter loop, we, we have to be involved in terms of feedback. So anyone that is involved with the device in the future, um, we probably should all get together because it's a small group of guys at this point and, girl, and girls. Uh, so the, clo the sooner we work together, the quicker we can get this um, actually perfected. It's really helpful to have it. Uh, record, this is a recorded case um, at the Advanced Cardiac and Vascular Amputation Prevention Center um, where we I just want to show you the reality of how you, you proceed with such procedures. So initially, um, you have to put the axis yourself obviously here. And we use ultrasound, it's the bifurcation, uh, and we use ultrasound to place a sheath. And uh, as you can see here, um, there's a nice bifurcation, and we select an, an exit strategy. So maybe I would get some uh, help here from Brad. What do you think, Brad, here, in terms of looking at this bifurcation? Where would you place your sheath um, if you were doing this case, integrate? Uh, well, we always, we always try and uh, take a, a quick look at fluoroscopically to see if we can see where the femoral head is. Uh, with ultrasound guidance, obviously the key here is trying to avoid wire placement in the deep femoral, but there are some tricks that you can use to uh, uh, advance that uh, wire into the SFA. I like what you said, actually. You look to see where the femoral head is. That's a very good point. Uh, Dr. Scott, you know, there's some data published on um, the safety element of the ultrasound versus angiographic guided uh, Access. What's your, what's your thought on uh, current data out there? I, I tend to, I use ultrasound for every every femoral access. It, it shows you the proximal landmark at which you can get in trouble if you're into the external iliac artery, risking retroperitoneal bleed. But it also, in this example, shows you the femoral bifurcation nicely. Mm -hmm. So when you're going anagrade, it allows you to move as proximal as you can, but yet safely, because it's in that zone of visibility. And then I use a, a, a micropuncture kit. I'll put a little shape on the 018 wire. Oh, and then under ultrasound, if, if someone lays out, or you, lay, lay out the bifurcation nicely with one hand in the, in the probe, with the other, you spin the wire, and you can watch it go into the SFA. Single-handedly, you can direct it in many yeah. instances. I could only actually uh, do it single-handedly, but um, since we have an ultrasound tech, I kind of take advantage of that. But, uh, but you can do it single-handedly, like you said. And the curve is good. Do you do a single curve or double curve? Single curve. 
And, uh, Maybe if I was more sophisticated, it'd be two. No, no, I think one is usually sufficient. You know, uh, do you mind telling us how far, like, what's the length of the tip of the curve that you do? Uh, that, that curve is probably contained within the distal centimeter sure. of the wire. Okay. So, I mean, you don't have much room to work. That's, that's good. I mean, the, this is a very good point, right? Because uh, that, that single curve that you make, right, allows you to just make that little loop up into the SFA and just push it down. Uh, Dr. Yates, you have the same experience as well? Uh, very similar. We do the same thing with ultrasound guidance, and uh, we uh, use the, the kit wire with a micropuncture kit. It comes with a braided tip, and we'll give it a gentle curve at the, the distal uh, centimeter or two, okay. allow it to float in. We're also looking with uh, access here. We're looking for the calcification in the, of the wall, trying to avoid those for a clean placement, particularly for planning and closing at the end of the case. And last question, Dr. Michaels. And uh, there's something here in this picture that I would like you to hopefully pick on and tell us, because this, pay, this case that we chose to show you today, if you notice there's something unusual about it on purpose, because we don't like to do anything straightforward. So what do you notice here? I think seeing this image is the, is the reason why the country is putting mandating rear view cameras and cars. Seeing that plaque there to help you plan your exit strategy and avoid it is the equivalent of seeing a football or a child behind your car backing out of a garage. So to use ultrasound is such a safety um, tool. It's a power tool. It's almost, it's more than just a safety aspect, but it helps you plan not only your entry, your exit, it skyrockets your safety, and it gives you a lot of comfort to go integrate sure. and, and use a lot of bigger devices. So actually, is this a closure you, device? Uh, is this an angel seal? Of we haven't, diaphragm? this is just going in. We haven't actually started a procedure yet, but this is the posterior wall plaque, which is a very common finding at that location. Uh, we've, and, you know, Scott, you cut these arteries all the time. Uh, is that what you normally see somehow, this little common femoral lottery, Dr. Scott? Eric, I'm Right, sorry. So, co so common femoral plaque is typically in the posterior wall. Yeah. But one of, the, one of the biggest advantages of ultrasound is actually when it's in the anterior wall. And if you're sticking, if you're sticking under, just under, under anatomic landmark or fluoroscopic landmark, sometimes you completely miss it. But on ultrasound, sometimes what you see in the anterior wall completely changes where you're going to access the vessel. Then it becomes a huge asset on the way in as well as on the way out. You're right. And on the closure device you use. Absolutely. Angle, location, etc. You don't see it as often, but yeah. that can be a real problem. Brett, uh, you know, point? the one thing I would caution to the ultrasound only folks is the high bifurcation. Yes. And so uh, I realize that flor fluoroscopy is not necessarily. Uh, going to be 100% accurate in terms of position of the inguinal ligament. But I can tell you, having stuck with ultrasound without having peaked at the femoral head, that you can stick the external iliac artery and find yourself in a world of hurt once you get the sheath in. Okay. So, again, we only take a quick spot of the fluoro, uh, of the femoral head under fluoro, um, and then stick to ultrasound guidance. Let but me I, see the high bifurcation can, uh, is a real thing. Actually, get a different answer for you, okay? <laughs> Anyone in the audience here? I see a CLI fire right there. Okay, stand up, please. And come take a mic and fix the situation for us. The situation for us. Come grab a mic. There's a way, guys. Any, and he's going to tell us right now how can we use ultrasound alone and not use any fluoroscopy? Any suggestions to how to do it? Yeah, well, I mean, kind of like what you guys were talking about uh, doing it single handedly, you can do it. Um, and watch the wire go into the SFA. You can stick the high SFA directly too. 
Um, that's for high bifurcation, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's a good point. Exactly. And how about the femoral head? How can you, is there a way that you can actually locate it without having to use a fluoroscopy? Yeah, I was just talking to Mike Watts about that. I, I can, you can see the femoral head on ultrasound just shadows out. I mean, it's bone. So you can actually see exactly where the femoral head is. Where is Mike? Is he here also? He's right there. Of course, it's, it's going to be You guys should come up to the front, like maybe right here. That would be nice. Uh, okay. No, but you can, it usually when it, uh, near the common femoral artery, it just looks like this black structure. That's uh, a good structure. point. So actually what we normally would do is uh, increase the depth, and you can see exactly where it's that long axis. You can see the common femoral head, and you can see the external iliac diving. Exactly. So we locate that and then go away from it actually significantly. So you can measure exactly how far you want to go away from it and how close to the SFA, the ossif the SFA. And in here, I was trying to trick Dr. Michael here, but he didn't fall for the weight, uh, the obesity of the patient on the groin. Do you notice the significant uh, panels here, right? Yeah. All right. So, so the reason we picked this patient on purpose for the robotic case is to actually start with the complexity uh, of the patient access, body habits, and to see if the robotic can still handle something like this because this is the real world, not the BMI of 20 uh, patients. Thanks for actually answering that question. And so do you use depth, right? You increase yeah, depth I, and I don't okay. fluoro and check the femoral head, um, which, I mean, it's, I've run into trouble once or twice where I wasn't happy with where the stick was, but in general, 99% of the time it's fine. Okay. Well, we'll grab Dr. Watson and come back and sit in the front. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, um, here's what we normally do, and this is sped a couple of times, and the uh, patients with large panels, we found um, a, kind of a unique method to actually get integrated access. And the problem, um, the problem and the challenge we need to and have to sometimes because of the uh, CLI nature of the disease, right? You have to do period loop reconstruction sometimes. Uh, you have to do distal tibial uh, intervention sometimes. So what we do is we pull the panel, uh, the panels back, and we found that the ultrasound, and somehow for in obese patients, for some reason, I'm not sure why, they come from a lottery somewhat, a little bit lower than expected. I'm, I'm not sure why at this point. So, uh, so far we've been doing this technique, and uh, we ha and then we do exactly what um, my friend here mentioned, that we actually stick the Prasna SFA in probably um, 20 to 30% of the patients if the SFA is six millimeter or, um, or in that range. So here, you know, we, we always get access, and now we know that we have an entry strategy, an exit strategy, and uh, this, um, this sort of um, angiogram that we did is just to show you today. Normally, we just move on uh, from the ultrasound, but um, it's good to show you. Here's a disease uh, that I picked for for us today, I didn't want to pick something too complex, just this, and uh, let's see if we can cross it. So, uh, and I'll start with Dr. Watts. Where'd you, there you go, Mike. Thanks, man. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, in terms of wire, yeah. and forget about the robotic arm, but wire, which wire would you choose, and how would you cross this lesion? Yeah, so uh, it looks to me like there's probably... You know, it, it, I'm trying to see if there's like a one percent of a lumen there, uh, and as at that hiatus, okay, there probably is. 
Um, you know, so something 0-1-4, hydrophilic, that's flexible, you might be able to get a command through there is probably what I would do and just try to stay, just navigate through there. Um, and once you get through there um, and follow it up with whatever your support catheter is, um, you can probably work your way through. I'm trying to decide. My eyesight's terrible. Um, You're too young for that. What do you uh, think you about think, the tibials? You think I am. I'm, I'm not. I just look like it. Um, you know, once you get lower down, I would do another run. Um, once you get to uh, the P3 segment, and then uh, you know, we'll see. If, we'll see what's going on. What goes on from there? Is that yeah. what you're thinking? Okay. Yeah, and no, I'd probably oblique off a little bit to see if I can get a better view of that AT uh, and really get a good trifurcation view from there. What about my panel, uh, Bruce? I'll start with you. Uh, would you. What do you think about the tibial run? Dr. Yeah, Ross, thanks, man. That's, absolutely. So I actually I got the ends of the wires, and we'll see if that works or not. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that you, it, there's a little bit of misregistration artifact there from patient motion, so it's really hard to tell what you have below the knee. So I would get a catheter down, and this kind of makes the point for the benefit of super selective angiography once you get yeah. uh, into that uh, segment because really your outcome for the, that distal SFA popliteal lesion it's going to largely depend on what you can create in terms of outflow. Absolutely. Tim, wire catheter, which I, one? I, I, would, I would approach this with an 014 wire. Typically, would start with a command wire <clears throat> and then a support catheter. I would usually use an 018 CXI just to give myself a little more support as I cross okay. through that lesion. So, oh, I, CXI 035 or 018? 018. 018, 018, 018 is okay. typically what I follow with the 014 wire. And I wholeheartedly agree that super selective angiography and completely Filling okay. the vascular bed is crucial here to know what's hibernating, what's truly occluded, and, and what's patent. All right, so we got um, enough data on which wire, which catheter so far, and then we agree that um, maybe there's total occlusion of the tibials. We don't know yet. So I like the fact that we don't have to wait. So, so Eric, let me take you into the next um, view here. So here's more of a... Um, a little bit more contrast, and then you see a single vessel runoff. So you, you definitely don't want to lose any collaterals, right? Um, because uh, at this point, you worry about it. So now we're going to treat. So what kind of sheath would you put in here uh, based on the panis and the complexity of the disease, which is obviously very complex here. It's an extreme complexity, single vessel runoff, and there's occlusion of the AT and the PT. So which sheath would you use um, support you with a robotic uh, arm? So I would, I would probably choose a six French sheath and probably a 45 centimeter sheath, a longer one, because I think you have, you have length proximally. Excellent. To get that sheath closer to this lesion, the clo I, I try to put sheaths as close to the lesion as I can. It, so if the majority of your, if your, the majority of your SFA is patent and doesn't need to be treated, yeah. then you can put a sheath in it and you'll be closer to where you work, you have better pushability, better visibility. So 45 so centimeter, okay. Six French, 45 six centimeter. Six five, okay. And then, so I, I like the idea of the 018 catheter as a selective catheter to inject through. Okay. You get a lot more dye down versus an 014 catheter. And then you'll see something like this, that yes, in fact, the perineal was patent and looks pretty, looks pretty good. Next question is, what does the foot look like? That's a good point. So, so Paul, based on the flow by itself right now, I'm not going to give you anything more. What do you predict is going on in the foot? It looks collateralized to me because there's good outflow of the perineal. It has to be going somewhere. It has to be perforated. The speed, right? 
the speed of the uh, flow. It has, be, yeah. it has to be going somewhere, but it may not be going to the right place or the place you want. If this is a wound, for instance, that may yeah. flow in the complete opposite direction, and that may give you the full explanation as to why I have a non-healing ulcer. It's, it's always the calcaneal branch. Whenever you see that nice flow in the perineal, you think about the calcaneal branch, and, and here it is, almost always uh, the same case, and, or the anterior and the posterior communicating arteries that are patent. So, uh, but here, I actually, um, the, the picture I showed you, I showed you at the level where the anterior and posterior could be, but hid the uh, calcaneal branch. So it's a good point, guys. Thanks for, well, <clears throat> we need a braided sheath, right? I mean, absolutely correct. Long sheath and a braided sheath. So uh, with a large panis, integrated access, you want a braided sheath uh, because of the many complications that can happen if you have a soft sheath. And now, if, if there's no large body habits, different situation. Here's, um, I want to show you the um, preparation. So, of course, um, you might think this might take forever to put together, but actually the cassette that comes in with the device, uh, the device is already mounted onto the table, and what we do is we open a sterile device cassette, which is um, right here, and we uh, place it, and everything is now completely sterile and ready to go. And uh, this is our team. Uh, uh, they're going to be the one supporting uh, what I need on the table, and now I'm going to go and sit down and start working. So this is a, I uh, hate to show this, but just to show you guys that I don't have lead on because one of my uh, CLI fighters one time called me out saying that I was doing the case and I had my lead on sitting down. I'm not sure who it was. Maybe I can guess. I'm not sure. But that was, good. That was a good call. Thanks for calling me out. Um, <laughs> and um, got to keep you honest. Oh, was that the Okay. That was a good point. Um, why do you have your lead on if you're doing robotic case? At the, because you know what? We all have ADD and you can't deny it. <laughs> and you just get up and do something and come back. Uh, so anyway, at, in the beginning, I used to keep my lead on. Now I don't. So I just have to. So um, look at this, guys. This is phenomenal. So now you have complete control here. And, now, and then you have a screen which is in front of you, that gives you phenomenal visibility. And the, uh, hopefully we can zoom in on the ROR, which is my favorite element. So I did exactly what um, everyone mentioned uh, thus, far, thus far. So actually, we're all on the same page. But this is my favorite uh, component of the device. So here, the action begins uh, with precise rotation of the wire, exactly into the target position. So this is... This is what I typed, actually, it's my own notes. And uh, look at um, the precision. Here you go. I want to show you here what happens. Look at that. You see how I turn the wire? And so you're going to predict where you want to go. Here you go, once again. And the sort of a half turn. I'm sure you guys can do this with your hands. I'm not saying you can't do it with your hands. We, you can all do this at this point. But the fact that you can sit here and do that, and you know that if you keep going, you might lift up the plaque, so you turn away from it, and you probably would do that in real life on your own. But the, the robotic uh, control is amazing. So the half millimeter turn, etc., and you're moving it forward at the same time. And I'm actually talking and whatever. So it's not really that difficult uh, to do. So let's go keep going to see what happens when you get to the area where you thought maybe there's a 1% um, PNC. 
So what do you think here, Tim? I think, Tim, you said there's a 1% opening, right? Or is it Brett? I'm not sure. Someone said there's maybe 1%. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What, was, what was the question, Mustafa? <clears throat> Someone thought maybe there's some opening left, oh. not CTO. It was a very short CTO. Oh, Michael, you did. Dr. Watts. A very short CTO, actually. I can't take credit for it. I think maybe it was open. I'm not sure. But there's a little bit of buckling. Uh, so kind of took it into it and went through. Uh, let's say it wasn't complete. It was 99%. How was that? All right. So the further crossing with successful arrival to the target uh, lumen, did that. And notice, I just wanna, want you to see here what's going on. Uh, let it play one more time and then we'll move on to the next slide. Take a look here. Um, the, the wire goes into uh, collaterals. And um, the, good, the good thing about the ROR here, you know, once it goes down into one uh, path, if you actually don't like that path, that path, you bring it back and you do put on the ROR and rotate it, and you bring it down, you know you won't be in the same path again. So this is the beautiful thing about it. And that, because the precision of that is phenomenal. It's hard to impress you guys because I, I know you, how good you are at what you do. But <laughs> I was actually impressed here because uh, I, didn't have to, I didn't go back into that uh, collateral one more time. So just a slight rotation and um, I was able to go through. So this is um, probably um, baby steps at this point, but the, the phenomenal aspect of it so far is the precision um, of the tool. So um, we, we crossed, uh, I, I thought maybe there's some resistance here and there, but the wire, uh, when it buckles, just move it back and, more, back and forth and rotate it until we crossed. And here, again, there's a lot of collaterals and you know, and look how fast you can go if you want to, and, um, and you, how slow you can go if you want to. And notice here, when I pull back and I rotate, you know, you don't go back in the same area. And this one here, twice I made the same mistake, but the third time I went through. And that, I think, lowers the perforation rate, the session rate, etc. cetera. So um, we advanced this wire about 400 millimeter without any consequences. That's very, impressive um, to do from sitting here. Uh, this is an angiogram done. Um, I think in the future you can do it from where you're sitting, but right now um, somebody has to inject, but actually I'm controlling the floor over here. So um, this is a selective angiography, like someone mentioned, and it's uh, great because now you can see uh, tremendous more, uh, more information about the tibial pedal uh, segment. Look at the nice, precise advancement of catheters. Phenomenal, um, kind of uh, what you like to do. So this is IVIS in now, the IVIS is rapid exchange. So anything that is rapid exchange, you can precisely move it. And here we are, I'm moving it, and now I'm gonna go into just slight movements, like one millimeter at a time or even less. And this reminds me of a, a tweet that went on a few days ago. Uh, just look at this, kind of keep pushing on the plus, or you can just put your hand on it, one of the two things. And uh, now, the, you can actually move the IVIS as slow as you want or as fast as you want. And if you wanna take your hand off, you can just stop it there and take a look. Anyway, that's um, really nice uh, feature of it. And then you can mark it as you go um, where you wanna stop. So uh, just to show the 
99% versus 100%. Um, anyway, we can, you guys can decide. It's not a big deal. All right. So we, we crossed, and now we're going to do laser because laser uh, is available in rapid exchange. So notice here um, <coughs> uh, my, my friends and supporters in the CAT lab uh, are placing the, ra the laser, and um, they're gonna, what they're going to do is they're going to advance it to the point to where the uh, robotic arm grabs it, and then they just leave it alone, and I take over. So they connect the uh, saline uh, portion and uh, connect it to the uh, laser uh, machine. And then uh, once after that, then we'll connect it to the arm, and then I'll take over from there. So it's kind of nice to be able to do that. So here we did a com combined uh, ultrasound and fluoroscopy. We don't always do that. This is just to show you guys, because it's not fair to expose uh, the ultrasound tax for radiation. Uh, here to show that you can actually go really slow with laser, and what really kind of hit me here is, I think this robotic arm is phenomenal for laser, because um, if you use the plus system that I'm using right now, you can go extremely slow. And the bubble, if you notice, was in the front of the catheter uh, the entire time. And uh, if um, you do it by hand, you know, um, I think the more fatigued we are, the faster we go. So anyway, this was very nice. And this is continuing the laser uh, all the way through. This is, um, so looking at this one right here, Dr. Yates, what do you think, um, that was Dr. Watts right? Was it a CTO or was it a 99? Well, I've never known Dr. Watts to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Um, notice how the bubble kind of works on the um, uh, sort of the lesion. And Dr. Uh, Walker did a great job uh, showing how the laser works. And if you actually watch here, it really happens exactly as he explained it. Uh, so we let, uh, let the laser do the work, so go slow to finish fast. And we did. And we lasered all the way down uh, where the lesion was uh, found to be uh, consistent with the IVIS. So we went into the TPT and slid into the perineal. And then look at this. This is the best part. Taking it out is so phenomenal. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I like that part of the procedure because now I don't have to worry about the wire. We're like kids, you know, when you get toys like this. And uh, this is where you fall in love with the device. Now, when you get to this point, taking it in, taking stuff out. And um, I, next slide is the first thing that hopefully went through all your minds, what's happened to the wire, right? But look at this. Here's a balloon, long balloon. Look how fast I'm moving it in. Isn't you know, you this awesome? Can, you can no longer blame it on Fadi. You're a fellow or a resident. They lose wire access, though. That's I know. The, that's kind of bad. You know, consider that. So, Jihad, tell us, how many, how many devices can this thing control at the same time? Is it the wire and one device? Is it three things? What, what, right now. How many fingers not, does it have? Right now, is, it's just got a sort of a um, side port. So we can have the wire and uh, a single device at this point. So it'll fix your wire yes. and control a device over it? Yes. Well, and, oh, you know, Eric, it's a good, good question, right? Because for us, you know, when, we, when we're doing CLI, that is absolutely something that in the future is going to be one of the features for this to continue to support CLI. Double wiring, uh, kissable balloon, et cetera. So you're right. 
Well, and also, you know, you think about the, some of the topics that were brought up at the lunch symposium today about atherectomy, needing to go slow, meticulous. Yeah. You almost wonder, I mean, things that are really slow, this thing could do better than you and I. It has more patience. Absolutely. But it also would have the ability to even tight to measure, like, uh, pressure at the lesion so that you don't exert too much force. I mean, it could control things in a way that you and I wouldn't. You know, you absolutely are right, Eric, and especially this uh, plus system, which I, I really fell in love with here. Uh, you, you can go really slow, and if there's any resistance, and the buckling actually happens in the slow motion, you know, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, buckling is a, is a problem almost always. So it happens in a slow motion, so you really get to see it and stop right there. So I didn't, I haven't actually seen much of that because of the, uh, what you just said. Uh, the ability to go very slow, especially with atherectomy devices. So more, hopefully we'll see more atherectomy devices with rapid exchange abilities. And then balloons. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to advance a balloon fast, you can. Slow, you also can. So both uh, abilities are available. And um, I really like that, that component of the device is uh, how slow I can go and how fast I can go and the different... Uh, Exchanges, exchanges. Actually, you'd think it would actually delay you. In fact, it doesn't when it gets to this point. Uh, the learning curve uh, is not too steep, uh, so hopefully, um, in the future, we, we can all be able to use this because of the radiation exposure with CLI therapy. So uh, this is um, atherectomy followed with balloon angioplasty. And uh, the inflation times is, is two minutes in each balloon. And now we're advancing a thrombectomy catheter. And notice this is being done manually. <laughs> All right, so with the thrombectomy, everything looks good. Because single device, you know, the last thing you want is um, anything to go <laughs> distally and selective angiography afterwards. So, uh, what do you guys think so far? Um, I will start this time uh, with. Paul, to I think it's time to go back to our IVIS findings, and let's do some sizing, okay. and let's plan our exit for PK. NG for PK. All right. So here's an NG for PK. And uh, we haven't seen the tip of the wire. Where am I going? Okay. And here's the runoff to the foot. So that's what you said, right? And uh, notice the tip of the wire is exactly where... I placed it in the beginning. And this is extremely important, guys, because now, now we can have that confidence that we're, whatever you place the wire is going to stay, and we have significant improvements of flow into the foot. Now you can make a decision to do additional uh, bullion angioplasty, or you can stop. And um, clearly here we did sequential angioplasty, so we started with um, low-profile balloon and then uh, went up to a higher-profile balloon to get the results that we like to do, like to get. So here's a secondary balloon, and uh, notice how nice and smooth you can move it through. And if there's any buckling or problems, uh, probably uh, you can stop immediately. And once you take your hand, immediately stops. Here's the balloon being inflated. So as you know, as we inflate balloons. Um, so, um, Eric, what do you think so far? I mean, is that something that is attractive to you at this point, based on what you've seen to this point? It looks like there are some areas where we could potentially get some additional lumen gain. 
What about the device itself, uh, using it yourself? Is that something you would you think like you would use in the future? The robotic component. The robotic, of this? Yeah. Robotic. Component. Yeah, and I think I think it has numerous advantages to it. But I I think from a a broader perspective, the the things that we do for CLI now are more sophisticated, perhaps more time-consuming than we did five or ten years ago. Yeah. Our, our, radi- our radiation exposures in each of these cases mm-hmm. is only increasing. Yes. And I, I, the number of people doing it isn't particularly large either. So no. those who do it, do it frequently, and the doses are higher and higher. We need an answer to that. Absolutely, man. And to sit, to sit in the corner and get a tenth of the radiation, that has, that has serious appeal. You're right. One of our faculty actually uh, gave, a, gave a lecture, and during his lecture, I don't want to repeat his name, but he gave a lecture, but during his lecture, he said that he got uh, a, few, a couple times a year a letter where he had to stay away from radiation. So uh, you, you're right. I mean, we are getting exposed significantly. Um, Tim, what about you? I mean, when, when do you think you'd like to implement this technology into your practice? Well, I, I think the technology is very impressive, and I think the options are are broad. I think automation and even applying AI might be able to facilitate or move some of our, the parts of our typical procedures through more quickly. Um, a question for you, since you've had your hands on it. Um, many of the CLI operators here in the room rely heavily on feel and response, yes. catheters and wires, and you're not getting that same sensation. You're having to retrain your eye uh, to, to respond and, and, and the movements of the wire. How, how, how long did it take you to feel comfortable with That's that? That's really an excellent question. Um, so you're going to replace that with a visual, visual tactile feedback. If you notice, uh, when we advanced the wire, look how slow uh, I went. But it was an effective movement, right? Every time I moved, uh, it, w- it was an effective movement across something, and I moved forward. So the tactile feedback well, is replaced now by uh, visual uh, feedback. So uh, you don't feel anything, but you can see quickly what's going on and stop. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if we can ever say we're going to get tactile feedback. So it's going to be um, visual. And it's actually, having done few, it's really not bad. The visual t- uh, tactile feedback is not bad. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, is that something important to you? Can I, can I respond to that for a second, Jen? Brett, um, the feedback, is that something? Tactile feedback? Oh, um, I was, I, Tim, I was thinking the same thing Like while we were on this presentation. I was thinking, actually, any of us who have trained residents and fellows, it's actually kind of the same thing because you have to train your eye to... They don't know where the wire is going, right? And you see that wire path with no fluoro going where you think the SFA should be, and it takes some 15-degree turn, and they don't know any better. And you've got to be like, oh, you know, stop it. So uh, that's kind of how I kind of thought about in my head, we're already trained a little bit to watch other operators and, yes. and, and there's, you already have some of that, that, that visual, the, vi- the visual yeah, feedback. Just, okay. Just from, from anyone who's taught anybody else to actually do these procedures. That's an excellent point. Really. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we, it, so basically if you know the anatomy and we, you expect the wire to go, uh, so based on that, you can, uh, you can actually stop and redirect. So, it's really a great tool for those of us that have large number of CLI procedures. I mean, uh, Fatty and I do a significant number of procedures a month, 
and they're very complex. And remember, you know, based on the basic science and the physics of radiation, the larger the body, the more the scattered radiation, right, and that you get exposed to. So uh, based on that, um, I chose this patient because uh, this patient is obese, uh, has large, large panels. The radiation exposure from a patient like this is twice as much uh, for a patient who's got a lower BMI, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fatigue factor, uh, you know, I'm not sure if Dr. Saab wants me to share that with, with you guys, but he's already, like, complaining about his back, and every day is like, oh, my back hurts, I can't work and stuff. So this is a, we got it for fatty, actually, more than anything else. So Dr. Saab is going to be the one using this. I feel sorry for him. So <laughs> He's shaking his head over there, actually. Oh, is he? Where is he? Oh. You're welcome. <laughs> I bought the device for you. Um, so, Brett, uh, do you think um, this is something that you can see in the future for the majority of us or selective people of us? What's your thought? Well, I, you know, it goes to the, the new technology question of what are the barriers to a widespread adoption, of course. Yes. And that's, um, I, I think that... I'm kind of uh, extremely impressed by the engineering behind this um, to generate algorithms that uh, torque the the wire to almost replace the tactile sensation that we all kind of cut our teeth with. Uh, so you know you have to commend the, the the folks at the company that have have kind of taken that engineering and then made it, made it fit for something like this, realizing that it's only right now for coronary peripheral intervention, I think there's tremendous upside potential for more complex cases uh, like embolizations, uh, neuro work, and so that's, uh, you you mentioned the point about wire position, and, uh, you know, when we're dealing with extremely tortuous anatomy in the abdomen or intracranially, and wire, wire position is critical, uh, the fact that it's pretty secure is, is pretty impressive. So I think there's a ton of upside potential, and uh, uh, so I, I can't wait for the next layer of engineering. Thank you for raising these points. Actually, these are all very important points because uh, intracranially, uh, any, mo- any motion or movements with the wire is a problem. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about CLI, but intracranially as well is important. To, so in the future, probably we'll see a live case from you on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, Tim, I know you're tech-savvy, and uh, uh, CLI fighters are tech-savvy. And it's, for you guys, how attractive is this right now? Uh, I think... Uh, go, Paul, go, go, you as well. Mike, I mean, every, everyone. The good-looking guys answer first, please. Sorry? I said the better-looking guy can answer first. Go ahead, Tim. The better-looking guy can... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's... So um, I was, that, I was definitely that's not Dr. Saab, so you can go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think this this type of technology, certainly in surgery, in the surgery, uh, the, the robotic experience is, is pretty broad at this point. Um, I think that you can kind of apply the same thought process when we went from uh, explore lapar- exploratory laparotomy to laparoscopic surgery, and the yeah. level of detail and the precision. I think that's very attractive. Um, I was speaking with Kristen from Crendus today about this. The, the machine can be trained to use different wire, wiring techniques, if I'm not wrong. It can even train your own specific tire, a type of drilling or, or twerking process, yes. right? So I think that's phenomenal. So, you know, it's only going to get better, actually. And uh, I'm very excited about the potential of this. And I'm hoping that you guys are as excited and everyone else in the audience is as excited 
you know, to have such tool and have zero radiation at the end of a procedure like this, it's not a bad thing. Our technologists are not doing the four cases or five cases a day. They're doing one, maybe, or two, because they rotate. So I don't want to say, like, okay, we're not getting radiation. Somebody else is getting it now, but they rotate. But the physician, remember, you're doing all the cases all day, right? Um, Dr. Mustafa, so Henry Ford said if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. I think when we look at this, Model T, built cars, that's why we're not driving carriages anymore. So when we look at this, we can't just look at it as a, as a mechanism or a robot. There's software here that may dictate how we improve precision and safety mm -hmm. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, maybe five years from now. We drive cars now that have safety integrated that save you, your family, and your kids from accidents. There's tactile feedback built into steering wheels now, tires. The car can tell you if you're on the road or off the road. You can integrate all of these safety features. So this is not a hostile takeover of the operator. I think this is, helps you. It's your assistant, just like Jarvis is for Iron Man with Tony Stark. You know? Yeah. Sci-fi has led the way for many things. Blade Runner, Alien. Things that we laughed at 30 years ago are here. The iPhones, hoverboards, yeah. cars that are going to fly. So look at this maybe as a Model T, right? Go back 100 years and now think, well, if this is the beginning and put it in the hands of people that can take it to the limits and then work with industry, kind of like Bill Cook, Charles Daughterway, you know, and see what they come up with. I like what you just said about work with industry. And I know a lot of people kind of frown upon physicians that work with industry. I just want to make it clear that I love working with industry. Not, I don't want any financial reimbursement from that, but I want this kind of things from them. Well, it takes guts to do this. If we, if we don't work with industry, if we don't tell them what we think, what we need, what we want, we will never get our catheter, we'll never get our wires, we'll never get our robotic arms. You know, uh, during this meeting, actually, I've asked many companies to build us many different things because during the presentations, there's so much unmet need. And I love your vision about this actually adds significant value. I don't want to relist them, everything that you listed, and I'll give Dr. Vegas a chance to say something. I'm sorry, George. Okay, no, no problem. I think it's a great uh, display of where we are going perhaps in the future. And had I had this uh, 30 years ago, I think I would have saved a few spots on my face <laughs> So from uh, all the radiation injury. But let's take it to another level and predict you're doing great. You're in the lab here. You're doing a great job with the, with the robotics. Let's take it three to five years from now. Can you do telesurgery 200 miles away because they've got the robotic in the room and they're going to say, you know, this is a little too complex for me. I'm going to call Dr. Mustafa. Let's see what he can do to navigate the wires. And therefore, tele, you know, you're going to be doing it. Tell us, tell us, well, I'm not sure what the right word would be. You'll be able to do you it know, robotically 300 miles away and that way finesse that wire from Grand Rapids, and the patient will be in Wisconsin. That's, you know, what you, hold on a second. What you just said is, where's Fatty? Fatty, can you go to the mic, please? What you just said is exactly what Fatty is thinking. You know, Fatty is actually gone beyond the, the lab. One second later, also. Fatty, so, you know, George's point and vision is similar to yours. What would you like to add to what he just said? I would like to point out, though, actually, but actually this is being tested with a device um, on animal models. So there is, in the corner of the universe, there are physicians. One of our colleagues, cardiologist Dr. Mater, is actually doing that in Grand Rapids. Okay. Um, so hopefully we'll like to see. Maybe, so that's, maybe next year, Dr. Mustafa. That is the point that I was hoping Fatty would make, is, uh, um, is actually try to do something here next year. <laughs> we'll see. And then an animal or a cadaver where Fatty actually will be next to the radiation in Grand Rapids, and I'll do it from here. 
So hopefully we can pull that next year, uh, pull it off, and that will be phenomenal. So actually we can ask different uh, people from our audience to come up and try it, and uh, we'll see. Next thing is, uh, please, everyone, uh, this is nothing for uh, more than a selfish reason that we want to be able to do this uh, quicker. So if anybody has any ideas, any feedback, please work with industry, and especially with this robotic concept, because we need it. Uh, it'll be nice for us to be able to do this uh, faster, quicker, more efficient, and safer. I mean, all the stuff that was mentioned. Uh, I like to uh, I like that we were able to look, take a quick peek into the future. So hopefully next year we'll be able to look into the future further and then look back into what would you call it, Michael? The Paul, I'm sorry. What did you call your presentation? Which, back to the back to the future. Oh, back to the sorry. future. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, I hope this was... Um, By the uh, way, Dr. Mustafa, the Nike's shoes that yeah. were in Back to the Future, they came out 20 years later, and uh, you can't even buy them again. They were so hot. So that's a nice way to end it. Thank, thank you so much. Nike. <laughs> thank you so much.